Just in the interest of getting things started so that Rabbi Berger has as much time as possible, I will briefly introduce Rabbi Gedalia Berger, who is a well-known uh, rabbi, a pulpit rabbi for many years in uh, Mount Vernon, and uh, he's also a well-known educator uh, in many different contexts, um, and as a former, you know, we were in YU around the same time. I want to make sure before, as I introduce Rabbi Berger, I encourage you to enjoy Rabbi Berger's presentation. I want to remind you that right after this, after this discussion, there will be a panel discussion in the back in the shul of Kedusha Issues with Rabbi Ezra Bix, Sarah Rinder Bloom, and Rabbi Shaul Robinson. So please make sure to join us for that as well. But without further ado, Rabbi Gedalia Berger. Okay. Thank you very much. Let me. It's uh, <clears throat> both uh, an honor and rather humbling to have been asked to speak at this event. And as almost everybody who's here could probably talk at some length about uh, how humbling it is to be in the shadow of Rav Lichtenstein and Zatzal, and in this case, even just the shadow of his memory. Uh, but since we don't have very much time, I'm uh, not going to dwell on that, and we'll, uh, we'll just begin. That we live in an age of sexual candor is rather obvious. Uh, my interest today, though, is not the question of how to maintain Kedushas Hadibor when faced with the vulgarity that suffuses the culture that we live in, something which is in the news this morning, uh, in fact, um, that kind of challenge is simply the typical challenge of how uh, a mitzvah manages to maintain Shmira HaMitzvos, and in this case Kedusha, when faced with a culture that is not so, and sometimes in order to do that we need to be countercultural. Um, when, when speaking in memory of Moreno Harv Lichtenstein Zatzal and uh, those of you who, have, who were Talmidim of his can attest to this, I had to at least devote a few opening sentences to describing what it is that I'm not talking about, especially if it was implied by the lecture title. Um, my interest today, rather than, than that, than combating vulgarity per se, is, is in the more sober and sometimes constructive candor that has arisen in recent years. That which, which manifests itself in therapeutic contexts, marriage preparation and counseling, uh, and sexual education more broadly with regard to both children, young adults, and adults too. We, uh, we in our community, I think, perceive that improvements in the quality of married life have, resu have resulted, in fact, from this more open conversation, and more, in fact, could result from more open conversation. That by doing so, we can help ameliorate, ameliorate excuse me, the suffering and unhappiness uh, in marriage that might otherwise have lasted a lifetime for some people. So while this more candid mode of communication has become more common even among Anshay Shlomenu in recent years, there, of course, remains a degree, and for some, a great degree, of reticence on matters of sexuality among Rabbanim, teachers, parents, uh, and the rest of us as well. And that reticence is, of course, motivated by a sense that a demand for, for it is rooted in both halacha and hashkafa. And so the goal of uh, this shear today... The source sheets, by the way, are here in the front. I didn't realize there was another door in the back, so if someone wants to... Uh, Distribute them. Thank you. Uh, so the goal of this year, then, is to explore the roots of this 
topic from a halachic and hashkafic perspective, and of course, in quite in brief, given the time frame, given the original time frame, and especially <laughs> given the actual time frame, um, and uh, with an eye towards, while looking at those sources, an eye towards finding some guidance for navigating the contemporary tension that we've already already identified. So we begin by looking at the foundations of the Isser, of what we call in, in Halacha, Nivolpeh, shameful, disgraceful, or vulgar, or boorish speech. Trying to translate the term precisely reveals still another, in this case a rather trivial, but still another example of the absence of Rav Lichtenstein Zatzal. One feels rather confident that he would have had the perfect translation of the term Nivolpeh, or, or alternatively, that the entire shear would have, built on, on, would have been built on an analysis of which of two English words better captures its meaning. Um, I'm reminded of the time of Lichtenstein Zatzal gave a shir Klali in the yeshiva, in which the, uh, the, the whole hakira that the shir turned on was, I don't know what the topic was, turned on whether bias should be translated as house or home. And since there are no two words in Hebrew that reflect that difference in connotation, he just said house and home, which resulted in 90% of the Israelis in the room not understanding the word of the shir. Um, right. Um, okay, so let's learn a little bit, in fact, about Nivolpen. So if we open up the uh, source booklet, we're going to have to move a little more quickly and telescope some of the sources a little more than I wanted, given the time frame. But the, uh, the uh, page number one is the Gemara Maseches Shabbos, which is the, the real locus for the discussion of this issue, it's the one Gemara that really identifies the issue directly and talks it out. It says the Gemara, Ba'avon navlus peh, saros rabos, ugzeros kashos, mischadshos, uvachure soni Yisrael mesim, yisomim v'amonos tzawakin ve'enonenim. Gemara describes the terrible consequences of the sin of nivul peh. That nivul peh results in terrible tzaros coming, terrible gzeros, new, even new kinds of gzeros, uh, the death of young Jews and the crying of Yisomim and Almanos uh, and cries that which are in fact not even responded to by Hashem uh, based on the Pasuk, which we for now will will skip over in the interest of time. If you skip to the uh, fourth or fifth shaded line, the Gemara raises the question, Ya Gemara quoting a Pasuk, what do the words Odia Donu Tuya add for us? Everybody knows why a kala gets married. And yet, anyone who speaks openly about the sexual motivation for marriage, even if that person had merited a gzardin uh, of 70 years of good life, it is turned on its head for bad. Gemara continues, that the existing Gehenim is not enough for someone who uh, commits the avon, the sin of Nivolpeh, that the Gehenim needs to be deepened further for such a person. So this Gemara obviously doubles and triples down on how terrible the sin of Nivolpeh is. It's very, very bad. Okay, we can leave it at that. This Gemara also gives us our first introduction to what is Nivolpeh, what kind of speech qualifies as Nivolpeh. So it gives the example of speaking openly about the sexual motivation for marriage. So in other words, the, the classic example of Nivolpeh is speaking about 
sexual behavior, speaking about sexual matters. And one of the really intriguing things about Nouvelle Pen in general and about this Gemara in particular is really the first word. The Gemara says that Nouvelle Pen, speaking in such a manner, is an avon, is a sin, which begs the question of, well, where is that sin? Is there, a, is there an Easter in the Torah of Nouvelle Pen? Is this really a, a halachic prohibition in the classic sense? It's hard to find such a, a pasuk. And uh, is perhaps it meant as an Isser de Rabbanan? The Gemara leaves it unclear. Uh, it's especially intriguing that the context here comes across as an, as an agadic context rather than a halachic context, uh, although the agadic element is really about the description of how terrible it is, whereas the foundation of the existence of the Isser seems to be taken for granted by the Gemara. So we'll spend a minute or two just exploring the question of, is there in fact a genuine halachic source for this, for this notion, for this prohibition of Nivoltet? So if you turn for a moment to page two, uh, as an introduction to page three, <laughs> the, the psukim here in the Parshas Kiseitse describe the kedusha that needs to be maintained in a, in a machina, in a military camp, describes the Tumah of uh, Motsi Sheikh Vazera, of a seminal mission in a military camp, and how such a person needs to leave the camp temporarily, uh, and further talks about how to manage a latrine in the, in the camp and keeping, it, uh, keeping the camp clean in the interest of maintaining its Kedusha. And then the final Pasuk of the Parsha says, Ki Hashem Elokecha Mishalech Bekerev Machanecha Lahatzilcha Valaseso Yevecha Lefanecha that since, uh, because Hashem his Shechina rests in the Machna, in the military camp, and Hashem accompanies the army on its uh, mission in order to help us and to, uh, to save us from our enemies. And therefore, because the Shechina rests in the military camp, then it is our obligation to maintain the Kedusha of that camp because of the presence of the Shechina. And how do we do that? Uh, of course, the details have already been said earlier in the parsha, but the the parsha concludes that when Hashem is in that camp, God forbid he should see an ervastavar. Ervastavar, which literally translated means, well, it's hard to literally translate it, but ervastavar, a, uh, a nakedness of something, something bad. Right? Hashem will see something, something untoward in this, in this camp. And if he does so, he might abandon us. As a result, so the simple meaning of the pasuk, of course, is that the ervastavar that's being referred to probably is the details that have been mentioned earlier in the parsha. But if you turn the page to uh, the Medrash Rabbah, and this, of course, you know, it's already been mentioned a couple of times that we're the day after Parshas Kedoshim here. The presence there are two uh, elements of Parshas Kedoshim in this booklet, and all of which is a coincidence. Um, but the uh, the Medrash Rabbah here on yesterday's parsha. Uh, first of all, uh, raises the question of why is the parsha of Arayos right next, right before the parsha of Kedoshim to you, uh, to, to teach us that uh, that uh, Prisha, as Rashi on the first pasuk says, Prisha from Arayos, uh, that's where one can find Kedusha. If we skip now to the second column, uh, the the Medrash on Parsha's Kedoshim uh, talks about that parsha and Kiseitze about the military encampment, and it says. Hashem says to the Jewish people, if you walk with me in, in Kedusha properly, then fine. That otherwise I'm going to leave. 
כך אומר להם משה לישראל, כי השם אלוקיכם נסלח בקרב מחנכה להטילך, על מנס, on condition that, ויום מחנך הקדוש. ולא יראה בך ערווס דבר, what does ערווס דבר mean? says the Medrash, ערווס דיבור. דבר here is from the sense of speech. What's ערווס דיבור? בשמו ברנחן אמר, זה ניבול הפה. That the Pasuk in the, in the uh, Machina of the army that says, what is Hashem insisting that he not see in that camp is Nivul Peh, Ervas, the Erva of the, uh, of the mouth, the Erva of speech. And so this, uh, this Medrash does two things for us. First of all, it provides a possible halachic source, a possible Nidoraisa source for the Yisra of Nivul Peh. Although here, too, we have the same dilemma. This is a Medrash Haggadah, not a Medrash Halacha. Uh, it's not clear whether this can be viewed as a genuine Halachic source, but it certainly is interesting as a potential source. It also highlights for us the deep connection between Nivul Peh and Kedusha, or really as an antithesis to Kedusha. Nivul Peh is not just a prohibition. It's something that when one does it, it is viewed by the Torah and here, by this, particularly this Medrash, as the antithesis of Kedusha, uh, which is hence the title of this of this shear. The uh, if you turn the, the, to the next page, we read a few lines from the perhaps the most famous Ramban in all of Torah, the Ramban in yesterday's parsha and Kedoshim to you. So uh, most of us are probably familiar with the Ramban's position of Kedo- uh, interpretation of Kedoshim to you as. Uh, as, in, as uh, demanding that we avoid even some activities which are permissible in the interests of rising to a higher level of Kedusha, to a higher level of holiness. And I, I can't speak for everyone else, but for me certainly the most memorable parts of this Ramban were always his descriptions of human activities which are in fact mutter, are in fact permissible, but that when they're done in excess, that somehow uh, uh, produces a, a, a person who is not acting in a holy manner, as he talks about excessive, uh, uh, excessive sexual activity, excessive eating and drinking. But the Ramban here in this context also specifically mentions nivul peh, uh, as you see here. Uh, a person, if he wanted to, without this mitzvah, he could uh, speak about anything, even the most uh, abhorrent uh, speech. Because this Isra of Nivul Peh is in fact not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. If one were to do that. And therefore, the Torah uh, provided us with the mitzvah of Kedoshin to you. And if you look down at the last portion there, he should, a person should guard his mouth from becoming disgusting with too much uh, eating, and from disgusting speech. And he quotes the same Pasuk in Yeshayahu that the Gemara quoted as well. Now, it's interesting uh, to note here, though, that there's a real difference, it would seem, between the identification of Nivul Peh as a violation of Kedoshim to you and the identification of excessive eating and drinking, for example, as a violation of Kedoshim to you. Because the, it, when it comes to eating and drinking, the eating and drinking per se is perfectly parav. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking per se. It's just that when you do it too much, 
it becomes disgusting and a violation of the Ramban's understanding of Kedoshim Tihu. But when it comes to Nivol Peh, as the name indicates, he used the same word, Naval Birshus HaTorah, um, it's this kind of speech is automatically, by its very nature, the uh, antithetical to Kedusha. Now it is true, if I had more time, I might expand on this a little bit more. In the last line, the Ramban does indicate that, that in general, maybe speaking too much, even without direct Nivol Peh, could, could become part of a violation of Kedoshim Tiyu as well, to, at, a certain, at a certain level. But at its core, actual Nivol Peh is always a violation of Kedoshim Tiyu. So for the Ramban, we raised the question before, is Nivol Peh an Isser Doraisa or not? So we said it from the earlier sources, maybe it is, maybe that's just an Agada, maybe it's not. And the Ramban provides us with this, uh, with this uh, intermediate position where it is a violation of an Isser Doraisa, but only this broad Isser Doraisa of Kedoshim Tihu, again emphasizing and highlighting the degree to which Nivul Peh is tightly associated with a lack of Kedusha. <coughs> that, uh, that issue is deepened, I don't have any time to go into this at all, but if you're interested uh, in looking at it one day, um, at, in, by, the, uh, Maharal, uh, by the Maharal in his Kedushi Agados on the Gemara in uh, Ksubos on Dachess, uh, who emphasizes the fact that Nivul Peh, that's not in the booklet, I'm sorry, um, who emphasizes the fact that Nivul Peh, uh, it's in a different booklet, but not, not in that one, uh, emphasizes the fact that uh, the distinction between Nivul Peh and Lashon Hara, and he points out that what's wrong with Lashon Hara, we call it Lashon Hara, right, bad language, but Lashon Hara, he emphasizes, is an Isr ben Adam Lachavero, right, what's bad about speaking Lashon Hara is that I'm telling it to somebody, and that has an impact, a bad impact on somebody else. There's no Isser of Lashon Hara, he says, to stand by myself in, a, in, a, in an empty room and say Lashon Hara. Whereas he says, Nivul Peh is the, and hence the, the name to some degree, right, that it's the, it's the mouth. You're doing something to your mouth. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lack of Kedusha per se. Uh, and it's a, uh, a violation of the Kedusha of the human being, and therefore even to do it in an empty room all by yourself. Would be, would be problematic. And the Silas Yesharim as well, in, in Perak Yud Aleph, and the Silas Yesharim uh, uh, emphasizes the fact that, quote, he actually quotes that uh, Medrash in Bayukaraba and calls it Ervasti, Dibur Mamesh, he emphasizes that Nivul Peh is not just a, a Geder for Arayos, for behavior, but is, is, is Usser unto itself. Okay. Um, um, just, uh, there's one thing we're not going to have time to talk about in just two seconds, just to mention. The, uh, there's another Gemara in Ksubos which talks about the problematicness of, of even listening to Lashon Hara. It comes up at the end of the first page also. Oh, excuse me, listening to Nivul Peh. And uh, talks about, it's a famous Gemara, that a person has, uh, has uh, sloped fingers so that you can fit your finger in your ear so that if you're hearing something bad, you should, you should be able to close your ears. And the Gemara learns that from a Pasuk in the very same Parsha of the machana, of the, the military machana. It's very interesting to consider the relationship between that, those psukim and this topic uh, in other ways as well. Uh, I'll just note the ex- English expression, swearing like a drunken sailor. Right? The fact that, that the Yitzhak of Nivol Peh is rooted in the context of, a, of, a, of the military uh, is very significant in the fact that, in the sense that, that that's the context in which Nivol Peh is at its tends to be at its height, in which the norms of society tend to disappear uh, in, in general, and the Kedusha of the Jewish Machana uh, uh, 
uh, army machina as opposed to maintain that level regardless. Okay. Let's now turn to the obvious uh, problem that we have, given the, the, given the Isra of Nivolpeh and its severity. How do we deal with the fact that it's obviously necessary to talk about such matters, even simply as a matter of Talmud Torah? We have so many mitzvahs that revolve around matters of sexuality, and it must be, in some fashion, okay uh, to talk about these things. And note that, the, that when it said call, call, that talking about the sexual motivation for marriage was problematic, it didn't say that only using some particularly coarse language was problematic. Talking about the subject at all was, was, considered, was considered problematic. How do we square that with the obvious necessity, in, even in Torah contexts, uh, to, to discuss that? We're going to skip page 5 if we don't have time um, and cut, uh, really, to the chase. Uh, in on page six. So the Mishnah at the beginning of uh, Bein Sorumora and Sanhedrin says, Bein Sorumora, and here we're going to, since we're talking about Nivoltad, we're talking about this issue, obviously we're going to, uh, by nature of the, the topic, have to talk about some things that might be a little uncomfortable to talk about. That's the whole point. <laughs> Uh, the Mishnah says, at, at what age can a child, can a son be a Bensoramora? Mishayavishtesaros, from the time that he grows two hairs, Yakif Zakan, until his beard forms all the way around. And it explains the Mishnah. What we mean by that is Hatachton, Veloha Elyon. How physically mature does a boy have to be to be subject to Bensoramora? We don't mean that he has to have a full upper beard, it means that he has to have a full lower beard. A beard in the lower part of the body, but the Chachamim spoke using clean language, using Lashon Nikiah. So this concept, which we find in other places in, in Chazal as well, of Lashon Nikiah, of speaking in, in what literally translated clean language, um, is the uh, baseline solution to this problem. Right? Chazal recognize, of course, that what we might normally think of as nivul teh is, in fact, not allowed. But when faced with the necessity of teaching halachos that involves such, such subjects, um, we need to do so, but we do so, to translate Nish Lashem into English, using the methodology of euphemism. So rather than talk about something directly, to try to use language which is indirect um, and which uh, manages to get a message across, but without being, without being too coarse. So in other words, the necessity of teaching Torah overrides, in a certain sense, the basic uh, Easter of Nivolpeh, but requires us to still maintain the, the level of Kedusha by uh, speaking in euphemisms rather than too directly. Um, this is reflected, we're going to come back to the Gemara in a moment, uh, but this is reflected as well in the, in the Chumash itself on the next page, in the Tochacha uh, and Parshas Kisava, where the, one of the curses is Ishata Areis Vishacher Yishgalena. A man will, will uh, marry a woman, but another man will sleep with her. And the, we have in that Pasuk the Ksiv Yishgalena, which is a more coarse term, and decree on the bottom, Yishkavena, that we use a more euphemistic term when actually speaking out loud and reading the Torah, um, then is written in the Torah itself. Uh, which reflects the, uh, this, uh, this practice of speaking, of speaking more euphemistically. Uh, already running out of time. Um, 
Okay, well, well, well the, this point, just uh, in two seconds, is very famously taken to an extreme by the Rambam, which is on the next page, which we're not going to have time to read. Uh, the famous Rambam in Mordechai, made famous by quote, his, the quotation of it by the Ramban in Parshas Kisisa, uh, who says that the Hebrew was called the Shon Hakodesh for the very reason that Hebrew doesn't even have native words for uh, such matters. He claims that there isn't e- not even a verb in Hebrew altogether for the sexual act. Uh, the Ramban says he's wrong, but the, that, that, the Rambam's position is that the whole reason why the language is called holy to begin with is because it's built around euphemism in this, in this area. Uh, of course, the Ramban who disagrees with that just disagrees about the fact that that's why it's called the Shona Kodesh. Um, he doesn't disagree with the notion that this is, that this is a necessary part of speech. Um, t- turn uh, for a moment to the authority on the last page. We still have a lot to say, though. Um, yes. Uh, from the committee, please take, feel free to take another five minutes beyond the... Beyond the original? Yeah. Okay, so that means we have about 12 minutes left. Is that right? Is that right? Okay. Right. So if I keep talking this fast, we might actually get to this. In the game with my father, you could probably go over the... T- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... I, I I would, be, uh, I would be dishonest if I would say that I hadn't thought of that. So. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, this is, we've gotten to this point much faster with much less uh, depth than I wanted to, but uh, if we turn now to a, a, a very uh, un- uh, interesting and, and somewhat unusual Taz. The Taz in in uh, Yoridea and Uchus Yayin Nesach, in the context of a discussion, if you see the Sif Aleph in the Shulchan Aruch there, the halacha is, we're familiar with the din of Stam Yenam, that if a, if a non-Jew uh, uh, touch, uh, excuse me, touches the, uh, the wine, then it becomes usher to drink. So the Shulchan Aruch says, that if a non-Jewish child is young enough and, and still unsophisticated enough about the nature of the Avodah Zarah, so that he doesn't really uh, speak about uh, the Avodah Zarah, then his touch doesn't answer the wine. So in this context, which is also a context where we're trying to analyze a certain kind of speech, so the Taz makes the following comment. His purpose is to draw an analogy to the Ayanesah context, but that's not what interests us here. He quotes uh, an, another version of the Gemara that we started with. We did the Gemara in Maseches Shabbos, but that Gemara appears also part of it in Maseches Ksubis, and there the language is a little bit different. The Parakama de Ksubas, the Gemara says, in the context of uh, talking about the motivation for marriage, and so on. The Gemara there introduces that, that notion by saying it twice. and Why does it say it twice? So, Nira Perusho says the Taz. Sometimes a person will speak but without bad intent. The person is not being vulgar. The person has uh, some positive motivation uh, in mind when speaking about such subjects. That's why the Gemara mentioned it in double language. That the only time the Gemara said all those terrible things about someone who uses nibble peh is when the person is actually doing it out of a out of a kind of prurient impulse, rather than as uh, rather than for a a positive 
a positive motivation. So that's a, a ra rather striking, very broad exception to the Easter of Nivel Pad. The Taz is saying that this is this Easter is it's only Easter to do if you have uh, if you have bad intention, but if you if you have good intentions and you're trying to do something constructive and something positive, then no such Easter. The, this Taz is rather difficult, especially given the fact that the other version of the Gemara that we read does in fact, in fact doesn't have that double language. It's also you know, a, a rather uh, big chiddish to invent uh, based on his own you know, rather weak diuk from the Gemara. But it's also more fundamentally problematic because it would appear to contradict what we were just doing. Right? We just encountered in the Mishnah the fact that even in a positive context, in fact even in a Talmud Torah context, there was a concern of nivul peh, right? That drew, that led Chazal to emphasize the need for for lashon nekiyah. So um, the the, now the, sim the simple answer is that most people probably don't agree with this taz. But if you want to maintain this taz, probably the taz's explanation, and it's actually rather intriguing. The explanation for this taz is that we shouldn't make the assumption that nivul peh and lashon nekiyah are really the same thing. And Nivel Peh, perhaps, is in fact limited to situations in which a person really is being somewhat vulgar. Uh, but in a positive context, speaking about the subject matter is indeed not Nivel Peh and is indeed allowed. Uh, and yet, even in that context, there is a layover, there's an overlay, excuse me, of in which one should yet, when doing so, do so with Lashon Nikia. But if you don't, you're not. It might, you might be wrong, but you're not, you're not, you're not, we're not going to deepen Gehenim for you either, right? In other words, that the actual Easter of Nivel Peh might only be when it's for a, a, an, untoward, an untoward motivation. Okay, now in order to address the contemporary issue that we really want to address, which we'll have a couple of minutes to do, I want to return to the Gemara in Ben Sorumara, Masechah head back on page 6. And here we have a very fascinating thing that happens. So if you remember, the Mishnah said that the upper age of the Bensoru Mora is when the uh, hair grows, forms the lower beard. Says the Gemara in the middle of the page, Hani Rabichia, Rabichia, who was, uh, who, who was from Bavel and learned and, and lived later in, in Eretz Yisrael, it was a Talmud of Rebbe, Talmud Chaver of Rebbe, he says, what does this mean? Until the crown or the corona is encircled. Now that's getting rather more graphic in its description of the situation, of what's necessary. And then, now Ravdimi was also someone who, who uh, lived in Eretz Yisrael, but then came and brought the Torah of Eretz Yisrael to Babel. And he, Amar, he said, what did that mean, because that's somewhat confusing, because in the male anatomy, hair doesn't really grow around the atara, the corona. So he, says, he said, it means hakafas gid velo hakafas beitzin. That what this means is to encircle the, uh, the organ, but not the eggs, meaning the testicles, which Rashi explains, that the, Ravdimi explained that what this meant was that the, by atara, he didn't really mean atara, he meant the base of the organ rather than further down, which is something that happens at an older, at an older age. Why is this so significant, and why am I putting you through reading this uh, uncomfortable, <laughs> uncomfortable subject? Because what's happening here? Didn't the Mishnah just say that we need to speak in Lashon Nakia? Right? And yet, yet we come to the Gemara, and what's the Gemara doing? The Gemara is 
traveling more and more down a path of language that's less and less what we might consider Nikia and more and more graphic. Now, it still is not quite coarse and graphic. It's still using terminology that, that's, uh, that might be you know, somewhat clinical. But it's a, lot, it's a far cry from, from beard and lower beard, right? How, did that, how and why did that happen? Is this not a violation of Lashon Nakia? So the answer is that, well, why did, what happened? R- 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 the Mishnah said one thing, and then Rabbi Chia, who was in the next generation, said it means this. And then Rav Dimi came from Eretz Yisrael and said, oh, you, did, you didn't quite get that, it means this. Right? So what's going on here, right? What's going on here is that the Gemara is highlighting the danger and the difficulty of using euphemism. Right? Euphemism is necessary to try to maintain Lashon Nakia. But euphemism also is often unclear. And so what happened was they used the euphemism, and then the people didn't know what they were talking about. And Rabbi Chia had to come and try to explain better. And he, he provided one explanation. And then that didn't work either. They didn't know what he was talking about. And they had to get more and more explicit in order to manage to teach the Torah that they needed to teach. Well, the very, again, I'd love to talk about this a little more. But the upshot of this Gemara is that... Is that is that euphemism is necessary as a matter to maintain Kedushas Habibor. But, ultimately, if you have a conflict between Kedushas Habibor and clarity of presentation of the Torah, which one wins? Clarity wins, right? That the, 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 the need to teach, at the end of the day, overrides the, the, the obligation for Lashon Nakiyah. Now, you still, one has to maintain a... Uh, a uh, dedication to Lashon Nakia and to try to uh, hew as close as possible you can to the Lashon Nakia and, and, and but, uh, but ultimately you have to do what you need to do in order to achieve in order to achieve that clarity. Um, now this need for clarity, the fact that need overrides Lashon Nakia ultimately um, I think is rather clear, is not just limited to teaching Torah. The Taz was not just talking about Torah. And I think we just, we can see that when we, when we need to talk about certain things, we, we have to talk about them. And so the, it's not just a matter of teaching Torah, but that in, in context of, uh, of necessity. Um, let's return for the last uh, two minutes to the, uh, the, the contemporary tension between uh, Kedusha Sadibor and the uh, Lashon uh, Nakia. So we have discovered in the recent generation or two that, uh, that there is an element of necessity in this regard in life that perhaps went unrecognized in previous generations or perhaps has become more of a necessity um, in, this, in this generation. And the need in order to, uh, the need for uh, clarity, uh, the need for more conversation and the need for some degree of clarity in that conversation in the context of marital preparation, in the context of even of uh, teaching children to some degree, um, is, is something that we have been recognizing more and more and, so, and the context in which we need to adopt this guidance of Lashon Nakia in its gradations um, in order to make sure that we are accomplishing what is necessary uh, despite the gut instincts that we have, which are very good gut instincts, of maintaining uh, Kedushas Hadibor and Lashon Nakia. But the, the challenge 
uh, is several fold, and I hope I have enough time to mention a couple of things here. Uh, one is the fact that this kind of thing I had echoing from Moreno of Lichtenstein in my mind, something that he emphasized so often that whenever we're, whenever uh, the a clash of, uh, of interests and of values requires us to compromise or to modify uh, something that we're doing, we need to do so in the fashion in which we don't just simply jettison one of those values and begin to forget it and ignore it. Uh, and it's essential that when we do engage in this kind of more open conversation, that we do so accompanied with the sense of the fact that we are compromising um, that, uh, that Kedusha Sadibur to some degree, uh, and to make sure that we don't, don't lose touch with that is particularly significant in, for, for people who are engaged in this kind of conversation in their professional lives whether it's therapists or, uh, or doctors or I speak uh, in one of my, one of my hats uh, as, a, as a teacher, uh, someone who trains and as a Moro Hora for Yoetzor Halacha and in that context this is the, the bread and butter of everyday life and to be able to, it's something that I try to emphasize to my students uh, that uh, even though in fact one does have to uh, speak openly about such things maybe every day uh, to make sure to uh, maintain the sense of uh, the sense of tug of war uh, in 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 your kishkas when you're engaged in that kind of conversation, so that you don't lose uh, one uh, lose touch with uh, with kedoshin to you. Um, the uh, the challenge is not only to maintain that sense internally that it's not optimal, but also to make sure to tailor the degree of explicitness with the necessity of the moment. Right? You can be you can use very clear and explicit language in a certain conversation, but then in the next conversation maybe it's not necessary, or maybe later in the same conversation you don't have to keep saying it over and over again. Um, and that's another another element of maintaining this uh, this kedusha. Um, Perhaps I uh, would have wanted to talk about this at greater length, but probably there is a difference between speaking in private and speaking in public uh, on this, this kind of matter. The whole nature of this subject is one which is uh, in which privacy is paramount, and maybe and uh, that probably also needs to guide us that the same, even given the necessities, the same level of explicitness might not be appropriate as appropriate in a public setting as it is in private. Now I'll conclude with uh, with one last a very profound challenge in this regard. One of the challenges that we're often presented with, especially with, with uh, younger people, um, is, the, is, the, is the notion that, that, is the, notion that the very uh, effort towards reticence itself is problematic. And that one of the things that, one of the challenges young people have when they get married is that they've, been, they've grown up with this sense that this is something you're not supposed to talk about, at least openly, and that therefore they, they don't talk about it as much as they should and end up suffering. And so one of the things that we need to accomplish is dafka to loosen the sense that this is something you shouldn't talk about. Um, that's a much more, uh, and that therefore some people will, will try to argue that you just need to be completely explicit so, so that people feel comfortable talking about these things. And to, right, that's a much more profound challenge from a halachic and ashkafic perspective because that's not a situation in which one is saying that, that we have our kedoshim tiyu and our kedushas hadibor and when necessary we're going to, we're going to uh, override it. In that context, the argument basically is that we need to jettison the whole notion of, of, Kedoshin, uh, of Kedushas Hadibor um, in, in this whole context because it's the problem, right? The problem is that we're being reticent about it um, and, and that's, that, that now, I'm not make, making any recommendations of how to navigate that. I'm not saying maybe it is true that we need to, 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 to be very open in certain contexts, 
But we need to recognize that the, it's not quite the same as the kinds of things we've been talking about until now from a Lach and a Shkafic perspective. And it points to the fact that we can't sacrifice one value. For, we might accomplish something, but, if, but how are we training the next generation to have the sense of Kedusha and Kedusha Sadibur? That's also uh, something that we, need to, that we need to do. Okay, one last sentence. Uh, I, I, I hope that the, uh, this discussion, as quick as it was, um, does, not, does not create the, the sense that Kedusha and Kedusha Sadibur per se is this, uh, is this burden uh, solely that we are trying to, that we sometimes need to get around, right? Obviously, uh, Kedusha is, a, uh, is, is really a wholly positive phenomenon, and in the most contexts of life, we actually can, don't have exceptions, and we actually can maintain Kedusha Sadibur. That's something which is not a, a restriction on us, but something which contributes to, our, uh, to, our, to the Kedusha of our lives and something that we should relish and cherish. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.